Hey everybody, Francesca here reminding you that I will be in Sacramento at the Sack Punchline on Sunday, March 17th at 7 p.m. with none other than Matt Lieb. That's right, we are co-headlining. It'll be super fun. It is St. Patrick's Day, so I guess we're all drinking, maybe? Anyway, get your tickets. There should be a link in this description, and I hope to see you there. And the idea Mm. is if the businesses see that we just don't have it, they're going to be less likely to raise prices than they otherwise would have because if we don't have it to start with and you jack up the price to us of what you sell, well, then you can be pretty damn sure we're going to buy less of it. It's very roundabout. I mean, it's like a Rube Goldberg machine of getting the business class, cajoling them through um, raising interest rates, But a lot of things have to happen. People have to get kicked out of their homes. People have to, um, you know, not be able to put food on the table. Good evening, one and all. Welcome to the Bituation Room podcast. Also a live stream. Also a, a YouTube channel. At Franny Fio, a Twitch stream at Franny Fio. So good to have you here. We have, of course, I feel like at, lately the show is like two hours and change. <laughs> we got another one of those shows for you today. We got a doozy of a show. We're packing it in. Um, professor Richard Wolf, um, Professor Emeritus at UMass Amherst, is joining me to talk about inflation, rising interest rates. Uh, how the feds want to um, kill the working class in order to offer our bodies up to the business class and be like, here, I've delivered, you know, like a cat bringing a toy around and except it's us. Um, anyway, that's going to be so, so good. As well as, of course, the dragon daddy of the damage report, which I am on every single Monday. John Idarola is here. We're going to be talking about Biden's response to the Roe v. Wade uh, overturn. Um, Is it finally sufficient? Is it more than just voting harder? We're looking at the executive order that was issued this week, as well as Boris Johnson, prime minister in the UK, just resigned out of shame. We didn't know that could still happen in the year 2022. So I want to get into that. And then... We have bonus content, of course. Every single week we got bonus content. And this is going to be, I feel like, ooh, I got to, I want to put this on main, but I'm like not because it's so good. Uh, And I have to thank all the people who are patrons at patreon.com slash bituation room. We're going to be talking about Elon Musk and him finally keeping with the pet metaphors, just letting go, like dropping the ball. Drop it, drop it, drop it, drop it. You can't, you're not going to swallow that. Finally dropping the Twitter ball um, and backing out of his $44 billion deal to buy that platform. And Twitter's not so happy about it. So I want to get into what that means. Can he back out of it? Why are we rooting for no one in between? So, of course, again, for all of your bonus content needs, patreon.com slash room. You support this show. Literally making this happen. Every single goddamn week, the difference between life and death, that's you. 
Also, if you don't know, we have merch. Yes, bituationroom.com. We've got t-shirts. We've got tote bags. We've got stickers. I haven't plugged this in a while. But I did just see former producer Becca with a Frantifa shirt on. It's so cute. It looks so good on her. So um, shout out to Becca and uh, for modeling my uh, Frantifa shirts. And uh, last announcement, except uh, no, there's like three more. <laughs> the Bituation Room is moving from Sunday nights because, you know, I want to be human. Sorry. Um, I'd like to stay out late and party on Saturdays. No, I, that's not why. It's so I can sort of be a lazy Sunday bum. That's what I want. That's what I want. A Sunday, a quiet Sunday. But that doesn't mean the Bituation Room is not going to continue. We're moving to Tuesdays. That's right. Tuesdays. Franny on a Tuesdays. 1 o'clock Pacific, 4 o'clock Eastern, 3 o'clock Central. Mark your calendars. That's starting in August. So I believe August 9th is our very first show on a Tuesday. Um, You'll be able to get, obviously, the podcast right to your ear holes uh, Tuesday night. So don't worry about that. You're going to still have all that if you prefer the show as a podcast. And if you do, why not give the show five stars on iTunes right now? Write me something sweet. Write a review. Um, Tell me how I saved your life. Last night, Francesca saved my life. Last night, Francesca saved my life from a broken heart. Okay. Right? Okay. I'm done. Um, Also, if you don't uh, mess with the Patreon, that's cool. You can tip the show TBR-Live on Venmo, TBR-Live on Cash App. I will take your money, honey, is what I'm trying to say. Um, All right. Why don't we get into this? Um, I have something very briefly to bitch about. It's so, so, so quick. But everybody, get your bitch caps on. This is What Are You Bitching About? I forgot to mention, this is important. Next week, next Sunday, July 17th is, I knew there were more announcements, uh, Abortion Access Front is doing a training and I'm going to be on virtually. Like, I'm not going to be on the training, but I'm going to be there. Uh, ver- like, okay, do, you know what I'm saying? I'm, I'm be on the other side of, of the screen. And so everybody register, guys. Uh, this is at Abortion AF. Here, let me put this aafront.org, aafront.org, July July 17th. It goes from 11 to 6.30 p.m. Eastern. So join for some of it, join for all of it. Figure out how to plug in to reproductive rights work in your area, to abortion access work in your area. Don't feel alone and or that your only recourse is to take the streets, as wonderful and awesome as that is. Um you know, there's more we can all do. I'm planning on joining. We'll do the show, obviously, later that day. But just so you know, um, I want to see y'all there. I want everyone to join. We've had Liz Winstead on. We talked about this for a while. So make sure to do that. Um, that's not what I'm bitching about. I'm actually going to flip the script. Other than the ants that are in my house that are everywhere. And I never know where they're coming from. And yeah, I sprayed the vinegar and it just sort of like it discombobulates them, you know, for a little bit. But then the raid just kind of like, you know, they're just like frozen. It's like a fucking like 
Pompeii, right? You know, when you do raid on, on ants. So like, and um, so other than that, which sucks, they always want the cat food. I'm not going to bitch about anything because I think we need some hope. And I wanted to shout out um, some of the electoral wins and or soon to be wins here in Los Angeles. The country is rapidly moving to the right and uh, centrists are super scared at what's happening in L.A. because uh, Mitch O'Farrell and Gil Cedillo are pretty much going down. Mitch, there's a runoff there. Um, but you're talking about two city council members who have been very much uh, sort of centrist go along uh, Democrats who love to, I don't know, evict the unhoused. And we had Hugo Soto Martinez on this show. We also had Eunices Hernandez on this show. Both of them. Eunices has won against Gil Cedillo. Hugo is going to a runoff, I believe. And, and it looks very good. You also have progressive um, uh, city comptroller Kenneth Mejia winning his race. Um, and then you have Karen Bass, who I don't, you know, I don't agree with the way that she's embracing the cops, but I sure as shit am happy that she can be a little bit of a front against um, someone like um, Rick Caruso, who jumped out in front on like day of voting. But then when all the mail-in ballots came down, of course, after all the think pieces and all the fucking analyses were around, you know, went around the country, like, what does this mean? Blah, 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 blah. Like, oh, shit, Karen Bass is up by like quite a lot. So, yeah. Um, is she going to be, like, amazing? Probably not. Probably not. Uh, is it better than a billionaire who wants to put, like, a Wetzel's Pretzels instead of a, a homeless shelter? Yeah. Let's build a Wetzel's instead of housing. Hell yeah. Not a solution, Caruso. Not a fucking solution. Anyway, so that is what I'm excited about. You know, you got to focus on the local, the small wins. That's really important. And I'm and I'm so glad that we had Hugo and we had Eunices on. And I hope to have them on again to talk about what they're doing um, on city council when they get there. And with that, I'm going to bring in for the hour and change my ho- my co-host, my guest. He's not a co-host. Let's calm down. Uh, he is the host of the award-winning Damage Report on the TYT Network every single goddamn day. He's a dragon daddy. He's wonderful. He's a homie. Please welcome John Iderola. But you did say co-host. You said it. So now I'm the co-host. We're sharing this thing. <laughs> you came this close to giving me control over your show going forward. But you you dialed it back, and I respect that. So just co-host. No. It's an equal I, thing now. Thank you. You've given me the reins to your show. And I would never trust you with the reins to this show. <laughs> I, I'm not qualified, I don't think, for most of your segments. So why is that women's intuition on your part to not hand it over? Yes, uh, the, the women's wiles. No, it's mostly because you also need to be a human and, you know, play board games or whatever you do uh, in your free time. I knew this was going to go derogatory. <laughs> I could tell you were winding up. You can't pose in front. You can't have like a bunch of like goblins and like weird, you know, jet like wannabe Jedis in the back of your picture That's- and have me not make fun of you. I, I, my my first instinct is to say that neither of those things are accurate, but then I might have to explain what they actually are and I'm worried <laughs> that's worse. So I'll take the goblins and fake Jedi, I guess. <laughs> It always, when a nerd corrects you, you hear the nerd mm-hmm. coming out of your mouth. You're always like, mm. 
It's, it's a little <laughs> no. It's all good. It's all good. Nerds have had a renaissance, and you're part of that wave, John. Nerds are hot trying now. To um, trying to be. Yeah. Well, I gave up on that, but I, I do want a renaissance, though. <laughs> John, uh, what are you bitching about this fine July Sunday? Uh, I'm I'm bitching about. Not the same thing I always do when I come on. Usually it's the grifters. Uh-huh. Right. Now it's going to be the grifters marks to some extent. Uh, weak ass men. Uh, I was just tweeting about this actually. Weak ass people generally, but like you can't hope to correct everyone. And, and you know, I'm a man. So like the fact that they're so weak, it bothers me more personally. I'm so um, I'm like look, smiling would... with joy for people just listening. Cause hearing a man call out weak ass men makes me want to be like, yay. <laughs> it's just it's like, I often say, like, if you were a cop, wouldn't it bother you even more that all these cops make all of you look so bad? And yet it doesn't really seem to bother them. Um, I'm a man, so I don't want to look bad. Stop making us look so terrible. But no, um, uh, I'm sure we'll get into a little bit of this topic when we talk about, you know, the Musk later on. So I'll, I'll avoid talking about that now. But it turns out there are weak men in a lot of different areas. So... <laughs> Look, obviously, all of the men who they only want to know what a woman actually is, and they're very angry about the trans community, and all of the problems in their life are caused by drag queens that live 2,000 miles away from them. That's more than enough material to talk about weak-ass men, but there was actually one specific thing that I woke up to. My wife showed me this. Um, One of my favorite actresses Mm -hmm. is uh, Florence Pugh, Mm -hmm. and she recently went to this Versace event or something, and she wore um, an incredibly sheer uh, gown. That like basically, so she was topless effectively. Okay. And she posted photos of it. Okay, and uh, so you woke up. You had a good day th- so far. This is a good day. Well, this sounds like the premise <laughs> of a good day, but unfortunately, then men arrived. Um, and so, what do you think men did when she posted these photos on Instagram? They were awful, just <laughs> awful. And look, she's awesome. So she responded awesome way. She she had this really detailed response to men who. Like, their entire life grinds to a halt when boobs aren't exactly what they wanted to be. Or they appeared <laughs> somewhere they might not have wanted them to. Or, I don't know, whatever. They're broken. It's impossible for me to put myself entirely into their headspace. But they had a big, big problem with it. And with everything. She's a woman, so they're going to have an issue with literally everything that she does. And I'm just... The idea that you would be browsing a social media site and see a photo... And feel like commenting to them about their breasts. Like, I find that as incomprehensible as me personally dropping a nuclear bomb on a city. How could your life have come to this place? How could you be this person? Wow. Get a goddamn hobby. I can suggest some, as you might imagine. I just, I don't get what is so wrong with so many people. Yeah, I mean, I think that, you know, as a woman, whenever, like, uh, someone posts like a fly photo of themselves. I just do like fire emoji, like I heart mm-hmm. eyes and emo- like wow, amazing. Like that's all you do. Like go girl. Like you kind of just that's what I've been trained to do. Usually my face is just like nothingness as well. I'm like yes, girl, you slay queen. You know? <laughs> but but I will say the amount of. And I'm sure the comments are something like, I didn't think you were this person, or I thought you were this person, and then I think of this, or I imagined your boobs different. Like, who knows? But I think that the amount of, and I get a small sliver of this, even from people I've met sort of parasocially through the internet, of like men who feel like you owe them something. And it happens 
really with women online. It doesn't happen as much, I think, yeah. with dudes online. You tell me if people are like, I thought you were this, but now you're that. And I'm not like, personally hurt by that. Um, sometimes about political stuff. Yeah. Sometimes. Like, I don't like a particular thing that you said, and that undercuts, you know, six years of your commentary. So that, that can <laughs> yeah, happen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's, it, it's not as shallow as, like, your nipple. Like, it's not like that, necessarily. Right, right, right. You want yeah. young women to look up to you? <laughs> um, backwards exactly. Oakleys. My wife is Asian. Like, there's, there's just a type. Um, yeah. Well, welcome to our world a little bit. Thank you, John. Um, you have earned your ally badge for the week. Thank that you. is, it's like um, the new Boy Scouts. We're remaking them. Boys to Men Scouts, we call it. And you get a little badge <laughs> every time you call out toxic men. There should definitely be a reverse of that that you give to the toxic men. They were men. They become boys. They don't get We'll keep badges. a watch out. See if they can go back. Yeah. Uh, the whole thing. <laughs> All right. Well, let's get into a few things that happened this week. Um, so uh, just a little roundup from my brain. Joe Rogan says he won't have Trump on his program because he doesn't want to help him. And I totally get that. Like, it's so pointless when, like, Rogan's already doing MAGA work on the down low. You know, like, what's the point? Mm -hmm. And he's got to maintain some mystery. Like, Rogan having Trump on is as pointless as Pete Davidson leaking a dick pic. We all know. We're aware. We get it. Mm -hmm. You don't need to rub our faces in it. Um, Or maybe you do. Sorry. Okay. Facing the possibility of two years in jail, Trump advisor Steve Bannon now says he's willing to testify in front of the January 6th uh, House committee, but he wants to do so at the public hearing, which means we need a live drinking game, one shot for every time he says the word globalist, and another whenever one of his liver spots answers a question for him. Because that definitely will happen. Um, Former former Trump counsel Pat Cipollone testified for eight hours on Friday to the House Select Committee on January 6th, and I'm excited for at least two of those hours to be pleading the fifth and three of them to be just sobbing. (laughs) Um, (laughs) California Governor Gavin Newsom has announced the state will begin producing its own insulin in order to cut costs out and uh and kind of ice out big pharma so take that the rest of america uh california has got insulin what do you got except water uh <laughs> <laughs> turns out pharmacies and uh big pharma companies in the u.s are throwing away tens of thousands of covid vaccine doses even as a second booster has yet to be approved for all people um and i have to say america's happy place is truly like wasting something in order not to share it like people are always like oh america's like the world's leader or america's the world's police officer like no no no. we're the world's shitty older brother like we will throw a candy bar out of the window before we give our sibling a bite (laughs) like that's Mm -hmm. that's what we are uh, former Prime Minister of Japan Shinzo Abe was assassinated by a man who made his own musket. That's right. Gun violence is incredibly rare in Japan because guns are hard to attain, which again is why this man made his own musket. You could see it. It was like wrapped in uh, like uh, duct tape and such. And l- let me just ask, how many mass shootings would America have if all of our psychopaths actually had to put in any work? Just... Beyond entering their credit card number online, you know, 
And finally, like just J- Japanese construction is better. You know what I'm saying? Like it's just mm, it's even. <laughs> and finally, it's not funny, but there was yet another mass shooting uh, this week. One of there's been 300 now or more uh, since 2022 began. Of course, I'm talking about the one in Highland Park, Illinois, at a parade for the Fourth of July, our Independence Day. A lot of people have been saying nothing could be more American, but I disagree. Uh, I think it could be more American if we put all the mass shooters into some kind of game show. And it's sponsored by the gun lobby and it's hosted by Howie Mandel and the winner gets mental health care and their victims get their hospital bills forgiven. We'll call it who wants to be sad for everything else. (laughs) This is the week where. So this was the week where President Biden took little baby Biden steps to protect a woman's right to choose in the wake of the Dobbs decision that overturned Roe v. Wade, something many have been waiting for. So we're going we're gonna to get into th- everything. But he on Friday issued an executive order to protect the right to an abortion, although order is like a real strong term for what it was. Biden doesn't order anything unless it's like an extra side of raisins with his oatmeal. Um, is more of like a wish list or like a resolutions, right? Um, so mm-hmm. let's look at some of them. They they say that they would like to uh, HHS Department of Health and Human Services will like to expand access to abortion care through medication. But that's kind of all it says. It's pretty vague. So uh, the, here was an op-ed in the Guardian. Um, where, which explains that the order calls for expanded access to abortion medication in states where abortion has not been outlawed, but it doesn't say whether this will include eliminating the current medically unnecessary restrictions on the drugs or making them available over the counter, as abortion rights advocates have called for. It asks for HHS to make updates to current guidelines for emergency medical care in an effort to reduce deaths in pregnant women whose doctors refuse to intervene in medical crises for fear of harming a fetus and incurring liability. It does not call for HHS to solidify these guidelines into a rule that would more forcefully protect women's lives. So it's like, I mean, we want to strengthen it. Well, we, we, we affirm the right to get the plan C pill. Yeah. But there's no efforts to actually like, what about like manufacturing it? You know? Yeah. Yeah. What, what about, well, or to go a little bit broader, what about doing something, anything, (laughs) anywhere, yeah, it's, uh, you know, like they have executive orders and executive actions. I bet at one point he said, hey, I'm going to put out an executive action. And they looked at it and they were like, well, it's not even in the same neighborhood as action. So you really can't do that. It's got to be the order. <laughs> but it's not even that. It's not, a, it's not a wish list because that implies that he really wishes that any of this gets done. And he doesn't really seem to care. I see no evidence that he cares strongly about it. The only thing he wishes is that people would get off his back. And that's not explicitly written in the document. And according to the SCOTUS, that means it doesn't count. Um, it's not a resolution because that implies resolve. And the only <laughs> thing he seems resolved to do is die eventually without having accomplished much as president. Um, yeah, no, this is this is almost the same exact thing as like me writing an op-ed about what I would like to be done. It's as attached to actual action as that. Yeah, It's Biden saying uh, a whole bunch of people in groups, the FTC, the DOJ, Xavier Becerra, Health and Human Services, go do something. Go do whatever. I mean, don't don't do anything. Spend 30 days looking into stuff. Come back to me. And then 
what? And then we'll be on the precipice of the midterms. And they'll use that as an excuse to not do anything. They won't be able to do anything after the midterms the way this is going. And so, yeah, I just, I, it's nothing. Yeah. It's nothing. It got him a little bit of good press and then people started to look into it. I can't imagine anyone comes out the other end excited. Well, exactly. And, it de- you know, depending on who you ask, it's like a bold, important step. And then others are like, nah. There's not really anything going on in it. So the other thing they say is, okay, we're going to convene private pro bono attorneys and um, basically create some sort of like uh, entity to defend women and people seeking abortions and, you know, try to try to defend that right. Um, And this will apparently include protecting the right to travel out of state to seek reproductive care, which, again, in my book, is just such a bare minimum to protect the right to travel like it's also like who's got access to travel the days off the money etc etc like where's the like the grant money or where's the like federal funding for that you know where's the vast where's the mobilization of people who might want to donate where Mm -hmm. and, and this and again back to the guardian they sort of say that look there's all these people who are doing this so it doesn't say where the administration will work to support the attorneys already doing the work that they're saying they're doing, like uh, the Texas-based Jane's Due Process or the legal nonprofit If, When, How. Um, It does not say how it will make sure that this supply of volunteer pro bono legal assistance doesn't dry up. Just kind of like, we want to protect these folks, you know, Mm -hmm. task force style. Which, again, I do think is better than nothing. It's better than what was happening up until Friday, which was effectively nothing. Um, And the last thing... Um, They're going to try to prioritize patient privacy, including taking new steps to prevent the transfer and sale of sensitive health data and blocking digital surveillance related to reproductive health services. This will apparently include enlisting the FTC to protect the privacy of people seeking information on abortion services. Yeah. So there's the there's the let's look into helping people, but not we are doing this. Mm hmm. Yeah, and even the FTC thing is the FTC is supposed to look into what steps it can take to protect that data. It's not, we've done this, this is codified, this is law. It's, hey, FTC, go right. come back in a couple of months and tell me what you've got. And even even that legal defense fund sort of that they're doing, um, you're totally right to point out, as The Guardian was, like, there's all these issues with whether it would continue long term and all that. But like, but even if we assume that they do it well and that it continues, think about the point that we've gotten to. The Democrats were supposed to protect people's rights. And instead, when all of these things that used to be your rights are now uh, criminalized, you'll have legal representation during yes. it. Like, like w- when, you know, if they follow the train of thought of Clarence Thomas and, um, you know, uh, interracial marriages are broken up, don't worry, you'll have a lawyer to walk you through the process mm-hmm, as mm-hmm. your marriage is broken up. Well, thank you. Thank you for that. That is... We are miles away from where the last stand was supposed to take place at that point. Yeah. I mean, the amount of retreating and sort of defending, like, you know, the the inner innermost realm, which is like the saddest realm, <laughs> is like we're just we're just ceding all this territory. And it feels like they're they're not speaking to folks who've been doing this work for so long, who saw this coming. And th- that clearly, if it took them two weeks to come out with executive orders that are this mealy mouth, they didn't have this waiting in the wings. They could have had this. This took it took nothing for them to have this ready. Why not? As soon as you know the 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 decision leaked back in April, um, 
and and yet they didn't have that. So like it just it just boggles the mind that this is it took them so long. And then apparently the day of the decision of the Dobbs decision, they did convene a meeting with a few, you know, uh, abortion rights activist leaders, organizations around the country. And they said it was like a half an hour call. No questions were taken. It was just affirming that the president cares about the issue. And that was it. And that was it. And and like, let me just explain. There are gradations of abortion rights organizing. Um, I think we've had on, obviously, Liz Winstead. We had Lori Bertram uh, Roberts on, who works with Mississippi um, Abortion Funds. Um, and I would consider them to be more like badass, radical, kind of like, you know, whatever, lefties. But a lot of abortion organizations and reproductive rights organizations are Planned Parenthood and NARAL and folks who are like kind of middle of the road, like kind of don't stick their necks out that much. I mean, they do good work, but they're again, Planned Parenthood is shutting down systematically like their their abortion services. But they are not by any means the ones who've been like uh, like. They're not the holier than thou, like ultra lefty, blah, blah, blah. No, they're like super middle of the road and they're pissed off. Do you know what I mean? When those folks are pissed off, when like the Women's March circa 2022, no disrespect, but like they're they're a shell of what they used to be. When they're calling out the like Biden's inaction now after this this executive order, you know that shit is bad. You know, it's yeah. bad. Um, I mean, Francesca. Deborah Messing's math. Yeah. How much did you not even live up to ridiculously low expectations if Deborah Messing believes that you haven't really been doing enough? You know, she paved the way 20 years ago, right? With Will and Grace or however long it was. She was like, God damn it. I didn't do this show for to have you roll back LGBTQ plus rights, women's rights. Um, And so, okay, so. Tracking what's been happening just over the last few days, you have this executive order. There was still massive protests on July 9th, which was already a day of action um, for abortion rights. Um, there were about a thousand people outside of the White House. And let's go to some video of that. Okay, so that's outside the White House. Whose house? Our house. Again, peaceful, fired up, etc. Turns out, I guess the White House didn't like that, didn't like the fact that people didn't like their own executive order, and on Saturday put out all oh, just a bang banger of a statement to respond to some of the criticism they've gotten. Um, so this is from Kate Bedingfield, uh, uh, communications director of the White House, saying the president has been showing his deep has been showing his deep outrage as an American and ex- executing his bold plan, which is the product of months of hard work. Is it ever since the decision was handed down? Then the kicker. Joe Biden's goal in responding to Dobbs is not to satisfy some activists who have been consistently out of step with the mainstream of the Democratic Party. It's to help women who are in danger and assemble a broad-based coalition to defend a woman's right to choose now, just as he assembled a coalition to win during the 2020 campaign. Of which 
the groups who are now criticizing him, who he calls activists or like fringe activists, were fucking on board for. Yo, there were a lot of people, mm-hmm. especially in the reproductive rights sphere, who sided with Bernie. I mean, excuse me, sided with Biden over Bernie for a strategic reason. Say potentially safer bet, potentially someone who at least wouldn't give up again a crown jewel of the Democratic Party, which is reproductive rights. John, yep. yeah, uh, look, it's like we say the the Democrats. If you if you watch them, you know, nine days out of ten, you'd come away believing, man, they have no fight in them. But then on that tenth day, you're reminded, oh, they can fight but only against the left right. they will attack or it's not even the left in this case they are the people that were criticizing them sure they were the left but many biden supporters quote unquote moderates and centrists i don't think those terms really mean anything but people self identify those are the people that are being criticized there they're pretending in the white house that these people are out of step no we know exactly what the polls say we know exactly what people want they're just not doing that mm-hmm. and uh, and i was also told during the primaries that uh, bernie too divisive. He's always dividing people. Biden is the unifier. Why are you attacking your own side on an issue that supposedly you agree with us on? This is Biden and his team being incredibly divisive during a time where people are rightfully horrified at the lack of action coming from the Democrats. Yeah, absolutely. And, and it's so cynical to say they're out of step with the Democratic Party. I'm sorry, who's out of step with whom here? If the Democratic Party's leader, like Nancy Pelosi, is campaigning for an anti-choice uh, representative like Quayar in Texas, yeah. fuck you. You guys are the ones who are out of step with the masses of your voters, the people who handed you the keys to the castle, who fought for you, who who got, you know, who flipped Georgia for you. Honestly, I mean, and, and I do think that there's a there's a lot of cracks. If there weren't before... <laughs> If there haven't been cracks that we've seen for in the armor of the Democratic Party that really doesn't exist, it's just kind of like a a light little tablecloth, you know, like, I feel like even people now, like, I feel like, like folks who are more comfortable now are starting to see, like, what is truly at stake, you know, and how much also the fight for reproductive rights is about the fight for health care and is about a fight for like, um, for working class people. Um, there's a there's a difference between people who can afford to have five kids, seven Romney amounts of kids and people who can't. You know what I mean? Like it's a mm. class thing um, to say nothing of people who don't want to be parents at all. Um, and so it's just insane to me that they they continue down this road and they continue to finger wag. And here's so. I got to always I I like to check in with David Axelrod and he was quoted in this article. um, And I thought it was an interesting (laughs) assessment kind of just feels again, just a fucking bitter ass beltway pundit or a beltway advisor. Um, And he writes one of the about Biden. He's quoted one of the reasons he was elected is that he's decent, temperate person. And there's no doubt that he can raise his voice. I think there is doubt that he can raise his voice, but I just, anyway, just physically. (laughs) Well, he he might do it, but then he might pass out. Yeah, exactly. But it doesn't come naturally to him and it doesn't land well, said David Axelrod, a former senior advisor to Obama. People got the president they voted for. You're damn fucking right. And I think those are good Mm -hmm. qualities that he has, but they may not be the qualities that some people, particularly activist Democrats, 
are looking for right now. First of all, it's bullshit. It's utter bullshit. Because why? Because John and I are both reading the news and we've seen that this entire week, the last two weeks have been nothing but inside Democratic Beltway people saying, I don't think he's up for the job. It's not activists. It's their fucking inner circle. Yeah. Yeah. And and I, I, I mean, maybe he made this claim during the primary and I missed it. Maybe he made a speech where he said, if they strip away Roe v. Wade, I'm going to do literally nothing for weeks and then we're going to put together a commission and probably do nothing. I'm going to do nothing. That's not what he said. And by the way, David Axelrod knows as well as Biden and his team know that he pretended throughout the primary to be far more progressive than he's ever been throughout his career and that he ever had any intention of being as president. He is... The fact that he's not doing anything in the wake of the destruction of Roe v. Wade is the worst example of this impulse. But you can you can look at almost any issue. He made promises about student loan debt. He's just not doing it. He implied he would be someone that we as progressives knew there was basically no chance he would be. And as president, he's doing effectively nothing. Mm -hmm. So saying like, oh, you shouldn't be mean, mad, mad at him or mean to him because he's just being who we always said he was. That's not at all accurate. David Axelrod knows that. No. Yeah. And and also. And this is sort of where I have to like hit back against we have for me, I feel like we have to defend against centrists and this kind of like disgusting, cynical complacency. But then also some of the like Mm -hmm. inaction from the left and also the the I told you so finger wagging of like, that's why you shouldn't vote for Biden. And it's like, no, no one's saying that, actually. You know, it, it said a lot for me that Biden had to bend over backwards to bring in the Bernie vote had to get Bernie on Mm -hmm. that Bernie was in multiple calls, Bernie campaigned for him saying he wants to be the most progressive president since FDR, which is basically Bernie's line. Like it meant that we do have real power. And again, I do see voting as a defense defensive mechanism against our worst impulses, which is fascism. Problem is it's very true. We've bought ourselves some time we haven't escaped the fascism um, mm-hmm. and we certainly won't with this kind of status quo stuff. And so I definitely like, I also really hate when people are like, I knew he wasn't gonna, and I'm so glad I didn't vote. And it's like, good, good for you for fucking taking a back seat when we have like front row tickets to like the yeah. end of democracy. I don't know. Um, and uh, yeah, exactly. We voted Ashman, Ashmaniel on uh on Twitch saying we voted for Biden. We we didn't vote for Biden. We voted against Trump. Absolutely. And I don't think there's any shame in saying that. Um, Anywho, John, I have to get you on to actually talk about what we think about 2024. Uh, So I have thoughts. (laughs) (laughs) There's, there's so much next, next time we'll talk about 2024. Um, But let's pivot. Let's move on to, uh, you know, hopping across the Atlantic because this was the week where Boris Johnson, the Tory Brexiteering prime minister with backwards Donald Trump hair, resigned in shame after nearly 60 cabinet members re- also resigned, essentially forcing his hand. Now, the two incidents that really did this um, were Pottygate, Partygate which was when he had a party during lockdown in November of 2022, uh, or excuse me, 2020, um, at 10 Downing Street, which we were kind of like in this country, we're like, yeah, everyone, like Gavin Newsom went to fucking like French Laundry. Everybody had a party. I think he went to Sandals, Jamaica, actually. (laughs) 
Everybody was having parties. Everybody was eating ice cream. Like they were all doing it. Everyone was having a party. But anyway, so it was that. But then specifically one of his cabinet members who he actually uh, gave a raise to um, was a known sexual predator. Um, so a little bit, a little bit more on, do we have, I forgot to send these anyway. Um, <laughs> it's okay. It's okay. So those are the those those are the two main things. Now, they don't seem like that damning of things, but then again, I'm not going to defend Boris Johnson. And when sixty members of your fucking cabinet resign, you should probably fucking resign. What is fun about this is to see how some in the American American media reacted to it, mm-hmm. and not. And I will play this Fox News clip, but it wasn't just Fox. You even hear the ways that like. You know, an NPR, like a New York Times, everyone's sort of like addressing this as so level headed, like, well, of course he would resign. And yes, and that's the honorable thing, you know, as as if we have like no understanding that if it happened in this country and it has happened a million times over under the Trump administration in no world, not only does he resign, but sure as shit, 60 cabinet members don't resign. Um, Yeah. Anyway, take a look at Fox and Friends um, explaining, breaking it down with absolute zero self-awareness of what this means. He would say one thing and would do something else and then pop up in the tabloids. Uh, and then with this thing, it, it, it's a question of integrity. He has refused to go, even though people have been calling for him to uh, hit the pavement for a while, because he would say, look, I had a, uh, a mandate. I had an additional 14 million votes from voters who voted for me in 2019. So I'm going to stick around. And he stuck around until he saw the writing on the wall. 53 government officials called it quits. Apparently, his assistants were trying to fill the positions as quickly as people would quit, but they couldn't. And they were people who were in charge of security, the courts, technology, education, finance, Northern Ireland and science. So clearly... That's a lot of the government with nobody running it. And so now he's going to leave. And without a doubt, somebody his problems really started space. with COVID. Um, so he, yeah. he wasn't clear how he was going to handle COVID. Then he got COVID. He really went in the in the direction of the globalist, you know, lockdown, very serious, um, uh, very stringent response. Right. And then he was caught, of course, um, partying it up in what is now known as party game. The globalist response. Just say you can just sneak that in there now. You can just say it now. Just say Chinese. I'm sorry, but just say the China response, the China flu, do, the China response. Do we think that's what I I assume they just mean Jewish? <laughs> I, that's my assumption. That like I, it's like it's almost we're in the position where like best case scenario they mean China. <laughs> right, right. I think. right, right. Like, mm. Unless they think yeah, no, the they, Jews they, did COVID. Yeah, I well, I, I think I think that they think it was something. I am, I'm like kind of joking, but not really. That they think, look, this is an international thing. Where sure, the Chinese inflicted us us on it or it on us, right? Um, but it is the Jews who are behind the scenes, letting multiple countries and the UN use it to take away all of your. I don't know the old school Disney you used to like. I don't know what yeah, they think they're yeah. doing, but they think it's bad. Absolutely, yeah. just all from Hollywood. They're in. They're in the Hollywood sign. Um, that's where the Jews control everything from. Is from the H of Hollywood. <laughs> exactly. And look, uh, 
it's it's almost weird. Obviously, this this situation, we can take a look at the fact that so many would resign. Uh, we've identified particular things that they resigned for that obviously would not they would not happen in the in the United States. Maybe under Biden, maybe. Um, but the fact that they elevated, you know, a, a sexual assaulter, known as sexual assaulter, well, the Trump's entire White House was filled with them. Like obviously, yep. the fact that a party made him step down or whatever, like Trump, like yelled at a crowd saying we shouldn't be testing for COVID. Like, it's just so ridiculous. No, that that does not mean that Boris Johnson and politicians in the UK don't do tons of stuff that also they should resign for. Like, they have higher standards, I guess, for ethics there. That doesn't mean that they have great standards. Um, but yeah, the, the, the inability to see how we're, the, the, the obvious overlap with Donald Trump, like Fox and Friends, they're they're not there to exercise right. critical thought when it comes to Trump. But so many people died, so so many people, and it was part of Trump's strategy, the herd immunity thing. And he didn't have to step down over that. It's in, it's infuriating. Well, that's it's funny because you're like you're waiting for her to be like, oh yeah, his response was maybe inadequate or he defied his own rules, which by the way he had to pay a fucking fine and paid a fine for Partygate. Mm. Um, which is incredible and like literally said the words I apologize um, which yeah. again I feel like Democrats see this and they're like that's a man of honor you use the word apologize you know even if he's totally not a guy of honor but whatever whatever like you paid the fine except you know end of story but Republicans look at that and they're like oh that's your first mistake is admitting you did anything wrong like they yeah. never apologize. And, you know, and during the Me Too, you know, moment and movement and the fact that it continues, it's like Republicans openly flaunted the fact that none of their people ever would apologize. And that's why they're still in office. It's like, yeah. ha ha, you got suckered into admitting your disgusting crimes. Um, we just kind of roll with them and then we, you know, reelect our people anyway. But so she's you think she's going to go in one direction? Like he needs to either be consistent, not be a hypocrite or like he, a lot of people did die in the UK, but no, she just goes globalist with it. But it, it's like, it is kind of nice. Cause you're like, at least you said the words like resign for, you know, accountability, <laughs> no longer faith in him, blah, blah, blah. My question is, you know, when does the Republican party jump fucking ship? on MAGA like and do they ever jump ship like when do they actually think that their party is more worth saving I mean this is like when the Democrats like wet dream what they imagined we're like oh yeah when Trump is elected it's gonna you know and and people who had a terrible analysis about 2016 like when when Trump is elected it's gonna ruin the Republican party oh my god they're all gonna jump ship and they fucking didn't it was Noah's Mm -hmm. Ark baby they took two by two no one's jumping yeah well, and, and and by the way, and, and a nice comparison to the fact that the 59 ministers who resigned actually seemed to hurt him, and that was part of why he stepped down. What happens when people defect from the Trump administration, either during it or post it, which has happened? Mm-hmm. They just, they tar and feather them. They smear them. They call them rhinos. I guess in this case, they'd be tinos. I don't know. With British, I don't know. <laughs> um, but yeah, they just, they destroy them. Boris Johnson could have gone in that direction, I guess, and just like mocked the wife of his beans and toast minister who stepped down or whatever like (laughs) they go about it in a very different way there are people who who will you know especially after they lost you know stephanie grisham and others are highly critical and and they're even at the time adam kinzinger you know sure but but there's still this 
this belief that it's rapidly going to spread. Kinziger, I think, today was saying that within 10 years, no one's going to ide- no one will admit to having voted for Trump in 10 years. And I, like, I, I almost like the naivety there. I like the ability to still believe that a better future is possible. And I have no doubt that it will change. They're not always going to be in love with Trump, but but it can get worse. Like they moved on from Reagan to, yeah. you know, like New Gingrich and George W. Bush. And then there was the brief thing with Romney. Maybe that's not worse. I don't know. But then Trump came. And like whatever is coming after Trump, I'm sure there's something. But do any of us believe that it's good? Nope. That it's better? No. Nope. I believe it's just it's gonna it's gonna literally be a demon. That's all it's gonna be. <laughs> like um You don't know so what's I in his heart. We're gonna look back. You know, yeah, in the I, inside the demon's heart, he does want to help the working class. We just need a, a big strong demon to mm-hmm. run this country. Exactly. Sure, he's a demon, but he understands that Disney's a, a, a squad of lesbos. That's what it's going to be like. It's we're gonna we're gonna someday look back on Trump and think, well, those were better times. I'm a little bit worried about that. I just have to play this clip really quickly because I think it is interesting to see. So that was Fox and Friends. Then you get later in the evening, um, whoever had that incredible tweet about like Fox really like the wheels coming off at night and going like. What is it? Comparing it to a Waffle House? It wasn't a tweet. I think it was maybe a Daily Show <laughs> bit. Um, mm-hmm. How it gets real crazy at night. Well, so Laura Ingram uh, of the Ingram Angle, which again is a Heil Hitler. Uh, she had Nigel Farage, the actual Brexiteer, the actual, um, mm-hmm. you know, uh, bigoted, xenophobic, like POS, who... Um, is like super homies with Bannon, right? Like they're like best buds. And here's what he had to say that Boris Johnson, he left um, not because, and they're reacting to an MSNBC clip where the MSNBC commentators are saying, is this the end of populism? I have, I take issue with their use of populism. And of course, Farage definitely takes issue with it. Was Boris Johnson's unpopularity, Nigel, linked to the fact that he was too populist? (laughs) No, the opposite. The truth of it is he adopted Brexit and I was very pleased when he did because I'd fought, as you know, a long, quite lonely campaign. Uh, But the truth of it is he got elected as a conservative, governed as a liberal, committing the UK to net zero increasing taxes, increasing the size of the state, uh, becoming an LGBT fanatic. Um, And the reason he's gone is, number one, he betrayed millions of people who trusted him to stand up against globalisation. And we found we had this pro-China maniac running the country. And number two, because he proved to be an outright born liar. So the idea that Johnson's demise means the end of populism is nonsense. And I very much hope and believe that whoever replaces him in the Conservative Party will actually be stronger on these views. More racist code, more racist, double down on one of the worst pieces of policy, one of the worst decisions the UK's made in a real long time next to like letting Prince Henry do anything. Is that his name? Andrew, letting Prince Andrew go anywhere. Um, Henry's fine. Um, like it was, it's Andrew and Brexit. Um, mm-hmm. And 
so this is him saying the same thing. The globalist, he at one point in this interview also says uh, China, like like beholden to China. Um, so he, this is Nigel Farage saying that Boris Johnson didn't go far enough and real populism or populism in his mind should stick around. And again, populism there in his mind means be more anti-immigrant, be more Islamophobic um, and isolate Britain even more, yeah. the mayor of London called Brexit the biggest piece of self-inflicted harm. This was this week. And hopes that the country can reverse course. And it's now been how many years since they voted for Brexit? And no one knows how to basically, like, how do yeah. you drive the knife even farther into our economy with this decision? Yeah, and pe- people said it was going to... It was going to be that way. They've been proven to be correct. And why would Nigel Farage ever admit that? The Republicans have had multiple, you know, here in the U.S. have had multiple huge rounds of, you know, tax breaks for for millionaires and billionaires. We've always said what effect that would actually have. Uh, we've always been right. But they made money, so they're not going to be honest. <laughs> like, so, yeah, he's going to lie about that. I, I love that they throw in the reference to Boris Johnson, apparently. And this was news to me, being an LGBT fanatic. Oh, God. I don't know. I you know, there's a lot that, that differentiates our countries and our cultures, but the fact that the right is still always obsessed with that community there, too. Oh, we're kind of similar. Um, but no, it's I, I'm so sick of hearing the word populism. I, I don't trust we were talking about this last night. Actually, I don't trust almost anyone with any words. You put a word out into the wild and they absolutely ruin it. But the words in the wild, that should be a segment. Word. Words in the wild. Words in the wild. What happens to it? Every word has a certain amount of range of what qualifies that word. But people use populism to refer to like almost the exact inverses of each other. If if someone like a Bernie Sanders or something like that can be a populist, but then also they apply it to right wingers who are just like I got news for them. Um, Republicans being anti LGBTQ, anti immigrant, and all of that—that's not new. And those people might not have always called themselves populists. These are just more vitriolic versions of Dick Cheney and all of that. Yeah. So I just, I hate the use of that word because a lot of bad faith actors who refuse to admit what their actual ideology is, use it to cloak the old school conservative ideas, conservative economics with supposedly being tapped into something cultural that is honestly not new in any way that I can. See. I mean, it's a cloak for honestly white supremacist thinking, even that, that also emanates from um, certain parts of the shit left like it's just this idea that like and and what's funny about that and here's last thing i'll say on populism and the idea that like oh the far right and the far left can just come together and together we can throw all immigrants and people of color and women and lgbtq plus people under the bus and then yay the working class reigns is it to be honest with you that's the same shit that centrists were saying post 2016 election don't forget it they were saying Nancy Pelosi was saying, you know, we need to be less about identity politics. We need to come together. We need to reach out to the, across the aisle and get out of our bubbles. Remember, everyone was obsessed with their fucking bubbles after 2016. Instead of admitting, no, a good portion of this country is fucking racist and they were duped by this idiot fake populist. We don't have to reach out to them and touch their feelings and their fear. We've got to out-organize them. We have to do better than them. We have to put yeah. up better candidates. Yeah. Well, and and 
the devil's bargain of screw everyone who's not white, male, cis, straight, all that. Uh, but if you do that, then you'll get $20 an hour minimum wage and single health care. That would be a horrible deal <laughs> if they fucking meant right. it, and they don't. The fact that Tucker Carlson is supposed to be a part of this fucking bargain, are you fucking kidding me? Yeah. Th- they don't mean it. They... You will throw all of those people into a wood chipper. You'll take the entire LGBTQ, LGBTQ community. You'll feed them through the machine. All that. But black Americans, brown Americans, everyone. And you know what you'll have at the end of the day? The corporations running everything and the wealthy running everything right. and nothing will fundamentally change. That's that's what you'll get out of that bargain. Absolutely. Mm. All right. Well, we are going to bring in uh, Professor Richard Wolf, And when I say bring in, I mean I'm going to play... <laughs> the pre-recorded interview, unfortunately, um, uh, Professor Wolf likes his Sundays, and John and I uh, don't mind sacrificing them. So I'm going to play that for you. John and I will be back, and I'm, we're going to talk about three very uplifting stories of sticking it to the man this week that I'm super excited to uh, discuss and show you. And then, of course, again, our Elon bonus convo. A lot to get into then. But, John, I will see you in a little bit. Everybody sit tight and get ready for Richard Wolf. And joining me for the sitch, so, so, so thrilled to have him on for the first time. Uh, he's a professor emeritus at uh, UMass Amherst, and he's also the founder of Democracy at Work, which everyone needs to check out, democracyatwork.info. Um, he's an economist. He is one of the leading voices on anti-capitalist uh, economist thinking, and uh, we're so happy to have him. Please welcome Professor Richard Wolf. Thank you very much, Francesca. Glad to be here. Yes, thank you for taking the time. Um, I have been wanting to have you on because um, you're one of the few uh, voices that I trust on the economy uh, from a progressive um, worker's perspective as well. Um, But I just wanted to ask you, you know, we're hearing a lot about the state of the U.S. economy um, the coming recession, the sort of the freakouts and the worries. And I wanted to ask you, is that true? Should we be worried about the state of the American economy today? And, and in your opinion, why? The short answer is yes. Uh, I'd go so far as to copy other folks who used to say things. If you're not really worried, you must not be paying attention. Um, th- because if ever that was true, it's true about the economy today. may not be true only about the economy, but if you look at the economy, I mean, let me put it this way. We have taken the majority of the American people over the last two and a half years, basically uh, 2020, 2021, and the first half of 2022, two and a half years, we've subjected them to the worst public health disaster in the history of the United States, which we were unprepared for, which we did not handle well. We've lost a million people. I like to point out that the People's Republic of China, a country four times larger than this one, you know, for every American citizen, there are four Chinese citizens. They have 20,000 dead. We have a million dead. There's no contest in who managed this better, uh, right. especially if you are committed to the sanctity of human life. And I won't go there, 
but you'll get the message. Um, at the same time, we had the second worst economic crash in our history, second only to the Great Depression of the 1930s. And this is the real remarkable thing. We had these two catastrophic problems at the same time, which we've never had before. We've had viruses before. We've had economic crashes. We have never had the two of them together. Really, a, a, a one-two punch for the mass of people that would have been decades to just get over. But we don't have decades. In the last mm -hmm. 12 months, we've been hit on top of those things by a terrible inflation, currently running at 8.5%, 9% price increase on average per year with many items that we basically depend on going up much more than all of that. Um, right. And now we are being told by our leaders, uh, President Biden, Federal Reserve Chairman Powell and others, that we're about to head into rising interest rates and a recession to cope with the inflation, which they couldn't prevent from happening. Well, here's what I want you to get. And if this scares mm -hmm. folks that understand, I'm doing this intentionally. <laughs> you cannot, in my judgment, you cannot put a mass of working class people through a public health disaster, an economic crash, an inflation, and a recession in two and a half years and not expect all kinds of divisions, bitternesses, hostilities, weird symptoms. You know, we're killing each other every weekend in our cities. We are finding yeah. our political institutions going backwards historically at a rate we really never imagined would happen. We have red states and blue states that will not talk to each other, that snatch businesses from one to the other. But I think these are symptoms, to answer your question, that we are in very deep doo-doo in this economy, and we'd be better off if we faced up to it and tried then yeah. to come up with a solution rather than what we seem to have which I find bizarre, a kind of collective denial that we are practicing. That we're not seeing it, you know. It's like, when, mm -hmm. you know, when your romantic relationships don't work out and you suddenly discover that all your friends had figured that out weeks or months sure. ago and you're the last one to kind of catch on. That I have that feeling that we are, as a nation, we're just not want. And I look, I understand who wants to look at stuff like this, but you better look at it because it's going to be more painful if you don't. Look at him, girl. She's cheating. He's cheating. And Professor Wolf is uh, raising the red flags here. Uh, <laughs> you're not, when it all comes crashing down, don't cry on our shoulder. I get what you're saying. I, I, I did want to address this idea because I think a lot of us who aren't economists don't understand um, the the idea of raising the interest rates right. and what that does and what it's supposed to do as the Federal Reserve is now doing. Um, how do they see it stopping inflation? And then what does it actually do to working people or to the majority of Americans? Okay, great question. Let me go backwards and you know tell you what it'll do and then what it's supposed to be as a solution. So what interest rate, raising interest rates will do, 
this is very practical. Everybody can understand this. Yep. It means that if you are ever in a situation of borrowing money, it's going to cost you more to do that once they raise interest rates than it did before. So let me give you an example of what this means. Anyone in America, well, not anyone, but the vast majority of us in America, if we ever get into the position of owning our own home, you know, an apartment or a a house, uh, we're going to borrow money to do that. It's such Mm -hmm. a common thing that it's a kind of borrowing that has its own name. It's mortgage lending or mortgage borrowing. The word mortgage simply means that the purpose of the borrowing is to buy a home, to buy a house. Okay. Um, Most of us don't have the money to buy a house outright. That's why we have to borrow it. And typically, Mm -hmm. we work out with a lender, which is, again, usually a bank, but doesn't have to be. We work out with a lender, give us the money now to buy the house, and we will pay you back over a 10, 15, 20, or even 30-year period so much every month uh, that will cover the repayment of what you're giving us to buy the house plus the interest over however many years it is. That's how people buy houses. Okay, so the amount per month depends on the price of the house and the interest rate that you have to pay the lender who enables you to buy the house. If the interest rate goes up, the monthly amount you have to pay goes up accordingly. And since since you're a borrower, that's really what counts for you. Not so much the price of the house, not so much the amount of the loan, but what does it work out to every month for the next 20, 30 years? You know, I may be planning to have a family. I may be planning all kinds of things. I forgot the budget whether this is doable. And so if you raise interest rates, you're going to make the home, the cost of a home higher than it would have Mm -hmm. been otherwise as you pay your monthly bill. And what does that mean? More and more people are going to be priced out of it. But that's what it always means. If it's more per (laughs) month, well, my budget between my husband and my wife or whoever's going in on it with you, you can't do it if it's more than X hundred dollars a month or whatever the amount is. So we're going to see the demand for housing fall. That means the people who build houses will not build them as much as they did before. That means they're going to lay off carpenters and all the other kind of workers that make a house. If we don't build the number of new houses, we don't need the amount of new furniture. We don't need all the people who work making the the, the cloth that, that covers our sofas. And, sure. Oh. And it and it puts pressure on the rental market as well. Exactly. So that's people aren't be able a to downer. Buy. You know, people mm. don't get it, but your job in some place in I don't know, Oklahoma will be canceled because the the folks in the lenders in New York City are jacking up the interest rates because that's what they have to pay. They're going to raise it, and you don't see the connection, but that's it. Second second example, the same thing with automobiles. Most of us buy cars, you know, with a four- or five-year payout plan. And again, Mm -hmm. the monthly cost of having the vehicle depends in part on the interest rate. They raise the interest rate, your monthly cost 
for the same, you know, Chevy that you would have bought anyway at the same price now costs more. But what people don't get is we don't stop there. Your credit card at the end of the month, that has in there that amount, you know, however much you used your credit card, then the minimum you pay. Well, the interest rates go up and you're going to see that each month and the amount you pay is going to go up. So the holding on to your debt using your credit card, that's going to become more expensive. And if you're a student or you're thinking of going to university, the borrowing costs for student loans are going to. So everywhere this is going to pinch, this is going to hurt, this is going to kill jobs, it's going to hurt incomes, the people who lose those jobs, the people who have to spend more each month on their credit card will have less money to spend in the restaurant with the pizza and the friends. And all of that ramifies, you know, spreads out. So it's going to hurt. It's, it's a deliberate act of the government of the United States, uh, and it is designed to reduce spending. Okay? Right. Why? Get less, less dollars in circulation, right. right? And why? Here's the logic. The idea is if people buy less, it is going to scare the businessmen and women. The people who sell to us are going to figure out We don't have the money we did before. We're paying off our credit card. We're paying off our mortgage. We're paying off our car. And that's costing more because the interest rates are up. So we just don't have it. And the idea Mm. is if the businesses see that we just don't have it, they're going to be less likely to raise prices than they otherwise would have because if we don't have it to start with, and you jack up the price to us of what you sell, well, then you can be pretty damn sure we're going to buy less of it, and you're going to be stuck with a high price, but for something you can't sell, and that puts you in difficulty. So It's It's very roundabout. I mean, it's like a Rube Goldberg machine of trying to, instead of cutting it off at the source, and I know you've got a lot of good ideas and have written and spoken about them in terms of other ways other than raising interest rates, but it's like, getting the business class, cajoling them through um, raising interest rates. But a lot of things have to happen. People have to get kicked out of their homes. Right. People have to, um, you know, not be able to put food on the table. There are so many um, negative impacts on the majority of Americans that have to happen for then prices to come down. Right. It's an, I wish people understood it as well as you just said it. I'll, you know, if you don't mind, I'm, I'm going to steal your very words it is making the mass of people who bear no responsibility for the inflation pay the cost of fixing it. I mean, it, it, it would be as if you're if you had a really nasty neighbor and uh, they came over to your house and they told you, you know, our toilet doesn't work. We called the plumber. The plumber came over. It's five hundred dollars. Uh, and I think it's appropriate. You're my neighbor. You pay half. Mm-hmm. And you'd go, what? It's your toilet. It's your house. I have nothing. I've never used your toilet. I got nothing to do with it. What are you, what are you talking about? But that's what we're really doing. Because, yeah. and, and I can explain this by. You're the one who clogged it. That's, in fact. that's right. It's your, we won't go there. But in, in details, <laughs> you know, if this is not my problem, this is your problem. 
And let me tell you why that fits. An inflation, just so people understand and don't get bamboozled, an inflation is simply a time when prices in general are going up. There's nothing mysterious. There's nothing complicated. Not all prices have to go up for there to be an inflation. They all all have to go up the same amount. It's just a general idea that in general, lots of prices are going up and few are going down. So that in general, it's an increase in prices. That's all the word inflation means. All right, now let's do the simplest analysis. Who sets prices in our society? The answer is the employer. If you've ever worked in a factory or an office or a store, and most of us have, if we're not already doing it now, you will notice that you never participated in the following meeting. Hello, (laughs) ladies and gentlemen. Today our task is to put a price on the shoes we make in this factory or the software programs we develop here or that that's not your job. The employer sets the prices. The employees do the work, produce the object, the good or the service. But setting the price is the specific, exclusive right and responsibility of the employer. So to answer the question, who raises prices when there's an inflation, therefore, who's responsible right up front? The answer Mm. is it's the 1% of us who are employers. The rest of us, the 99%, are the people who have to pay the higher prices, but we don't get to set the prices we have to pay. Aside the grotesquely undemocratic way this is being handled in our capitalist system. But let's be honest, an inflation wouldn't happen unless 1% of us, the employers, got together and decided to jack up the prices. That's what's happened. So the next question becomes, why are they doing that? And And here, let's be real honest. Mm-hmm. I know the answer because the answer to that question is the same answer you get if you ask a businessman or woman why they do anything. The answer <laughs> is, I'm in it to make money. You know that, that I say, I want a third vacation home. That's right. Look, I love my work and all of that. Sure, but I'm a business. I have to make money, otherwise I can't stay in it. So, to make a long story short, profit is the so-called bottom line. I'm in it to make money. If you want to know why I bought that truck or I expanded that office or I uh, bought that machine, the answer is it's profitable. If it wouldn't be profitable, I wouldn't have done it. So the answer, why am I raising prices, is the same answer they give to every question. Because it's profitable. Yeah, and and because they can, I I, w- I did want to just get to you because you have concrete ideas that have been, um, you know, b- born out in American history. Yep. You you talk about um the uh, uh the rations rationing during during World War II, how critical that was. You also talk about what's a, what's called a wage price freeze, yes. um, that happened under Nixon. Can you talk about either of those examples as ways to you know, not leave everything up to the bosses, the employers, the right. the heads of industry. Yeah, let me explain it because 
this is a kind of peculiar amnesia that, that Americans seem to have. It's about their own history. I'll start with a conservative Republican president, Richard Nixon. It's August 15th, 1971. He gets on radio and TV. We have a bad inflation at that time, as we have had periodically in American history, and they have had in every other capitalist uh, economic system as well. It's not a new phenomenon. So he gets on radio and TV, our conservative Republican president, and he says to the American people, uh, we got a terrible inflation. I'm going to take a step now to deal with it. He says, here's how it works. As of tomorrow morning at 8 o'clock, any business in America, any, that raises the price of anything it produces and sells, here's what's going to happen. You're going to be arrested and you're going to go to jail because it's illegal to do that. Then he followed. He said, if you're a union or a worker and you make any effort to raise your wages, the same will happen to you. In other words, I'm declaring a price wage freeze. We're going to stop the inflation on a dime right now, right here, and then Mm. we'll work out how to rearrange the economy. So he did not require the mass of people to suffer. He did not, none of it. He just said, and guess what? The original- How how long was that in place? I'm sorry to interrupt. No, no, it was originally set up to last for 90 days. It as a three month kind of cooling off period. But it was so successful that it actually lasted longer, more like nine months, because it it was working. The inflation stopped. Now, look, people will argue there were problems with that policy. That's correct. There were. But there are Mm. problems with any policy. We just discussed, you and I, all the problems from raising interest rates. Not as though that's some sort of magic bullet that doesn't hurt anybody. The point is we ought to have in America. And I, I defy anyone to justify what we have in America now. We ought to be having a debate. What about wage price freezes? How did it work with President Nixon? He's, after all, a conservative Republican. That's why I picked him. Look, look, you know, and we don't. It's as if nobody remembers. And please, everyone, go Google it. Do a little history. Bear me out. Study. I didn't make any of this up. Here's a second example, and I pick it for the World War II because you had a progressive Democrat as president then. So I just want to show you that we talk. You have a guy who says, you know, he wanted he wants to follow in the footsteps of FDR in theory. That's right. So what did FDR do? It's early 1942. We're we're really getting into World War II. We're fighting against the Germans and Italians in Europe and against the Japanese uh, in, in Asia. Okay. Uh, the advisors, some of whom were my teachers of economics, so I, I know the story intimately. Uh, I mean, I was too young then, but my teachers were young people, and they were advisors. They didn't let you forget it. That's right. They 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 loved to tell the story. They meet with FDR, and they explain to him, because he asked, they explain to him, we are now needing to use lots of resources in America uh, for the war. We have to make guns and and bullets, and planes, and ships, and uniforms, and all of that stuff that fights wars. 
which means those resources are not going to be available to produce consumer goods. You know, Mm -hmm. the railroad that might have brought the wheat to make the bread is now carrying munitions to fight a war. So, Mr. Roosevelt, dear Mr. President, here's what's going to happen. We're going to see a sudden drop-off in the supply of goods, consumer goods, because the resources are going elsewhere. If we don't do anything, here's what's going to happen, because this is how the market works. You know, the market, that institution we're supposed to love, but which we should be deeply suspicious of. The way the market works is if there's a sudden drop in supply, the people who want the stuff are going to compete with one another to get it. You know, if there's not enough ice cream cones and you're taking your kid to the park, then you might say, I wanted enough for my kid that instead of the $2 price, I'll offer 4 and the, 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 the woman across the highway there, she'll offer six. And then uh, my friend will offer eight. And you know what happens? As the price goes up, middle and lower income people drop away because they can't afford $10 for an ice cream cone. And so they will have to explain to their tearful child why other kids get the ice cream cone, but you don't. And they said to Mr. Roosevelt, if you allow this, You're going to set this country against itself. You're going to have a country torn apart, and that's the last thing you want in a world war you're worried about surviving. So you can't do it. So what did the president and his advisors do, which Republicans and Democrats endorsed and voted for? No more market. He abolished the market. He said for all of the things that are really crucial to people's lives, We're not going to let money and all that stops. We're going to publish ration books, which the U.S. government did. Inside of them, they had little stamps that you could tear out, sort of like postage stamps. And if you went to the store, uh, the way you bought a quart of milk, uh, a pound of coffee, a gallon of gas for your car, whatever, there was a whole bunch of these things. The only way you could pay for it was with one of these um, stamps. You had to have a ration stamp, and the government distributed them according to people's needs. So, for example, if you had a lot of young children in your family, in your household, you got a lot of stamps because the understanding was you need milk. And you couldn't pay for milk in other ways. Like, it was strictly through those ration stamps. And then... If any storekeeper sold you milk, like for money in the normal way, they'd be arrested. They would be violating the law. The same as under Nixon, if they raised the price of the quart of milk, they'd be in trouble with the law. And guess what? Most Americans agreed with it. You know, a story used to be told with a ration ticket. You made sure that the following didn't happen. If you allowed the market to work and the price of milk went up, Rich people would be coming in, buying the milk, and giving it to their cats at home because they love pets and they like their cats. Whereas the people who had children at home couldn't afford the milk to sustain uh, growing bodies that need the calcium and all the rest. And those kinds of stories made it very clear that the people of America understood that to fight the war the only fair way to do this 
would be to handle shortages by a fair distribution of according to the needs people really have, not a market distribution which gives whatever is scarce to the people with the most money. Was that subsidized then with the government subsidizing, you know, the milk industry or the gas and et cetera? Like how did they cajole businesses to go along with that? Well, basically they said, this is your obligation. We're fighting a war. And if the president, by the way, he said this kind of thing with an unusual man, especially given the behavior of the, of the clowns that (laughs) that we collect in this country now. So he would go on, he went on and said, look, if I'm asking the young men and women of this country to risk their lives in in wars thousands of miles away, I don't want to hear from a businessman that it's going to pinch your profits to accommodate. Uh, you can sing that song all you want. You're not going to get any sympathy here. And the mass of people stood up and applauded hearing that kind of talk. No, no, no. The business community didn't like it. No, no, no. Mm-hmm. They didn't like it. But they didn't dare do anything about it publicly. Privately, they they did their thing. But publicly, oh, no, you weren't going to hear anything about that. And now the business just sends Americans to war directly and cuts the government out completely. You know, (laughs) we fight wars for oil. And uh, I mean, and it is even worse. You know, last week, I mean, I don't want to pick on anybody. Although if I'm going to pick on anyone, I'm enjoying going to pick on him. Elon Musk and Jeffrey Bezos. I can't remember. For me, these are the same thing anyway. But one of them sent a tweet to President Biden, addressed a tweet to President Biden, because President Biden had made a speech in which he asked, he didn't order, he asked the oil companies not to jack up the price of gasoline I think it was because of the 4th of July weekend. You know, don't right. don't take right. advantage. You know, the poor president asking. Please. These, yeah, please. Yeah. Really, it, it's awful. Anyway, he did that. And then the nerve. It's either Bezos or Musk. Tweets, you don't seem to understand economics. You shouldn't be doing that, president. You shouldn't be interfering. In other words, we have to make profit to, whoa. Whoa, we're in the middle of an inflation coming after the COVID disaster and a crash. You're really hurting the mass of people. And here you have a billionaire telling the president not to into a whoa. And for me, this is as serious a sign of an economy in trouble as anything else. If if the people at the top are not um, willing to, to make an accommodation, I'm very scared about where that leaves us. Well, and specifically on gas, I just wanted to get your thoughts. Um, I know, and thank you for breaking this down um, for us. Um, But, you know, just doing cursory research on this and trying to understand, you know, why has gas risen by 60%? What's going on? The Biden administration's there begging, please, you know, develop, you know, uh, extract more oil. Please, you know, there's tons, billions of dollars of subsidies that we give you, um, you know, releasing the strategic petroleum reserves. And oil executives are effectively saying, even though there have been meetings, effectively, they're like, no, our shareholder shareholders like we'd prefer to give our more money to our shareholders than help the American people out. So no, we're not going to 
you know, extract more oil to cheapen the cost. And we like it like this. Uh, and to say nothing, let's leave climate change and doom aside. And the fact that we really should be transitioning off of this. It's just so incredible because you've got on the one hand, the Biden administration begging for us to be able to dig up and like more, like burn more carbon, dig it up. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, I don't know, open, they didn't say this yet, but you know, it's only a matter of time before they're like, Hey, leases on national lands and open up the Alaskan, you know, um, national reserve, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Like, and then you've got the oil executives like, but we've got it so good right now. Yeah. I mean, let me remind everyone the richest 10% of the American people own 80 to 85% of all the stocks. So when, right. when a company tells you we're doing something for the shareholders, let me translate that into simple economic English. We're doing something for the richest 10% of the people. So if we're keeping the price of oil up there, it's in order to be able to send fat dividend checks to the 10% of the people rich enough to own shares in Chevron or Gulf or Exxon or any of the other oil monsters. That's what this is. This isn't a technical problem. We know where the oil is. We know how to bring it up. I understand all of the climate issues that ought to be in this conversation, but have been neatly pushed out. How nice Mm -hmm. for the oil companies. So they're able to postpone dealing with the Uh, fossil fuel crisis they've created. That's good for them. And they're able to make wild amounts of profit at the same time. No wonder they're celebrating and they shake their finger and scold the president who even asks them. No more than that. Look, even in Britain, where where I I was about to say the leader is like our Donald Trump, but that leader (laughs) disappeared today. He ended his absurd regime. He quit um, because unlike Trump, you know, he somehow in the UK, they still resign in shame. We haven't we've passed that here. He resigned. His capacity for shame is a little bit closer to Mr. Trump's. So he resigned. I wouldn't say he did it with there wasn't much shame. He referred to his own political party, the conservative party in England, as I quote now, the herd you know, the word you use for a large group of, I don't know, animals in a group. <laughs> They're the herd, and they drove me out. Uh, that's not a man who seems to understand that that one scandal after another and one yeah. bald-faced lie after another uh, might make it a question of whether you belonged in that job. But even in Boris Johnson's regime, they put what's called an excess profits tax on the oil companies saying, if you're going to raise the prices to make a lot of profit, you have to, quote, share that with the uh, people of Britain. So we're going to tax you. In this country, we don't even do that. And, you know, it, it boggles the mind. The new, the new government in France uh, just mm-hmm. announced yesterday because They had an election two weeks ago in which this explosive new reality of French and European politics was the enormous popularity of the extreme left in France, Mm -hmm. which Mm -hmm. American media do not cover. Uh, The sitting president got 38% of the vote for his party. The new far left uh, 
leftist party led by a man named Melanchon, who you might want to talk about, who is a Marxist and says so yes. and has been. Yes. They got 32 percent of the vote. And what we hear about here is the, the right wing, the Trump-like. In that country, it's, it's a woman named Marine Le Pen. She's the yes. she. You know, the lefty got 32 percent of the vote. The right winger, Le Pen, who's been there a long time, she got 17 percent. The left is twice the strength of the right. But if you ask most Americans, they have no idea. And she's- no, and also when I'm sorry, we're this is a digression, but also whenever like mainstream news covers the French elections, all they do is cover how Marine Le Pen is gaining steam, even if she's losing steam. Right. You know, they love the dawning of fascism because it just yes. the headlines write themselves. But you've got a leftist in there who's like actually wants to, I don't know, provide for the people, yeah. and they're like, nah, that's boring. By the way, the new gov- the new government just announced new prime minister. Um, who is a friend of the sitting president, Macron. So she's no leftist. But the power of the left is so strong, she just said one of the first acts of the new government is the nationalization of the electric company in France. The government owns already a big chunk of it, but they're going to own all of it. They're taking it over. That's a gesture to the left. That's an an attempt to say the government will take over and we will set the price of utility for you in your home, your electricity, your water, your gas, and, and all of that. In other words, things, here's the bottom line. Yeah. Things could be handled radically differently from the way they are. We are handling the inflation, the interest rates, the price of oil and gas in a peculiar set of ways that happen to be very good for the 10% of the people at the top and very bad for the 90% who are supposed to govern in a democracy. And I don't think you can forever hide that from the American people. You're doing a good job, but I don't think, and there's where programs like yours, the kind of work I do, play a role. Our job is to say, wait a minute, you have not exhausted the range of possibilities. You have not explained this in a way that allows people to see the different ways one can go about it. And you don't even want to admit that in our own country, Republicans and Democrats have, in fact, gone about it differently. You're all pretending none of that ever happened. Right. And we didn't even really talk about wages, uh, which uh, the Fed chair Powell said are basically said are too high. And uh, effectively that there are too many vacancies, um, too much. There's not unemployment, but there's too many vacancy job vacancies. And so um, all this will, you know, interest rates, all this stuff will be good because it'll drive people to accepting some crap job that they probably shouldn't accept anyway. Um, So so, but this is I just want to say that it feels like Biden wants to have his cake and eat it too, wants to keep the status quo, does not want to even look back in American history to take steps to truly address this in a way that would help most people, not just these shareholders. And I'm thinking of climate change and student debt, which people are eyeing all eyes are on him before the midterms to do something on. And yet you've got the oil and gas industry and then the Fed share raising interest rates that are fundamentally going in contrast to any long-term plan of addressing those two crises right now. 
I, I guess just final thoughts on on what you know on that and sort of you know unless a Biden is willing to make a break from that status quo, do you see this getting better? <laughs> I don't see Mr. Biden making a break. You know, he never has. He's been as let's be honest with one another, all of us. He's been a senator from Delaware. Delaware is the state in the United States where most corporations go to file their papers. Uh, Corporations have to be registered in a state. The reason they go to Delaware, it has the most corporate-friendly laws anywhere. There's no mystery. And he is the senator from the state that's down on its knees to every big corporation. Please come here. And they have. He's not the man who's going to confront corporations that are ripping people off. He's their man. And he may be less crazy and less scary and less divisive in the moment than Mr. Trump was, so he can get elected. But he's not a man to deal with an economic system like this one to change it. He believes Mm -hmm. in it. It's the basis of the career he's enjoyed all the way up to the top. This is not the man you look to. That's why in other countries you ask these people, step aside, because you're not, I mean, you're just not constitutionally able. And here he is, let's remember, looking at a midterm election in November that at this point looks like a blowout, not good for him, good for the people he says he opposes, And as you rightly say, he's not doing any of the dramatic things he could do, he should do, even some of those he might not be able to to persevere. The very fact that he would be trying, let the Republicans Mm. block him, but he's really trying, would allow him to get the support of what I am clear in my work is a majority of Americans who don't like what's happening, and they shouldn't. Yeah, it's a a ripoff. Before I let you go, um, I just wanted to ask you specifically, like, you know, we always talk about the, you know, elimination of student debt, how critical that would be, even at $10,000, which Biden said he was for. Now it's okay, means tested, whatever. But again, it's not clear if any of that will happen. Will that in the long term, it will help millions of people? Um, free up money to be able to do things like invest and or buy a home, et cetera, et cetera, start a business. But in the short term, are they just worried that that's going to create inflation because you're going to have people with more money? Like why? Why? You know what I'm saying? Yes. Like, What's the direct impact on this economy as we have it now? Let me give you the, you know a, a closing answer that deals with this. Yes. This, I go back to my, my best friend here, my Republican president. Richard M. Nixon back in 71. <laughs> Here, here's an example of a program that would solve your difficulty. Forgive the student loans. Give the 42 million Americans who are now stuck with those loans for the terrible decision they made to get more education and thereby become able to contribute more to the society than what they could have contributed without the education. For this terrible crime, they are now in deep debt. Forgive the debt. That means they all have money that they used to pay the debt with that they will now go out and buy uh, goods and services. 
but to avoid the inflation, which you claim is why you don't want to help the students, here we go. Let's have a wage price freeze. Let's have us do what Nixon did. You know why? Because then all the extra money that the students will spend will come to the businesses. They will not be able to raise the price to meet that money. They'll have to order more goods to be produced to sell. In other words, we'll get what we want, the spending, the jobs, the production, but not the inflation. All of that, all of that is eminently doable. We've done it. We know how to do it. Yes. The people at the top, look, we are a debt-ridden society. Our government is in debt up to here. Our corporations, because we've had zero interest rates or nearly such for 20 years, every corporation in America, whatever its problem, solved it quickest, easiest, and cheapest by going and borrowing lots of money because it was virtually free. So our corporations are in debt. Our government is in debt. Here's the problem. If you help the students because they deserve it, you know what's going to happen? Every desperate homeowner, every desperate car owner, every desperate credit card holder is going to say, hey, what about me? I'm in Mm. trouble. I can't do for my family. I, I need some help. Good that you did that for the students. Now give it to me. At that point, capitalism begins to crumble. Because it has built itself a house of debt cards and it can't quite navigate. So the answer is the people at the top don't want to start a process they can't handle. So they're not going to give it to the students either. And and let me let me close with this. I'm a professor. I've been dealing with students all my life. I won't bore you with the number of times a young man or a young woman has come into my office. We've had a conversation about a midterm exam or a term paper or whatever it is. And when we're done with that, there's a little personal moment and the tears start coming down. Men and women alike. Why? Mm. I can't afford it. My mother just called me and told me my father lost his job. They can't cover for me. I'm already in debt $38,000. I can't borrow more but I can't give up my education. Then I'll be left with no degree and the 38,000 is still there. And they don't know what to do and their family can't help them anymore. We're putting people through experiences like that left and right. And now I'm going to tell you about another country like ours. It's called Germany. In Germany, they have a different attitude. Here's how it works. In Germany, universities get ready for this, are free. Free. It's just free. There is no tuition, no fees, nothing. The student has to cover his or her, um, you know, room and board. You have to feed yourself, Mm -hmm. you have to clothe. That they won't pay you. But you are not required. And not only is that available to every German, here's what you might want to make a note about. It's open to anyone everywhere. There are about 25,000 Americans in Germany getting degrees and paying nothing because they can't afford to go to college in their own country. Yes. And you know what yes. the Germans say? We will keep a certain percentage of them. You know, they'll, they'll meet a German boy or a German girl and, and, you know, one thing to another and all the rest. They'll stay here and we'll get the benefit. 
He'll contribute. Right. Yeah. Even if they go back home, they'll have a feeling about Germany and, and all of that. That will right. be a good thing for us. It's a good investment. And we want people to do this. So we're going to pay for it out of taxes on the, you know, and by the way, Germany is one of the eight countries in Europe now that does this. So it's not unique to Germany. Why in the world is the United States, which boasts being richer than all those countries, unable to do? And the answer is we are shooting ourselves in the foot. In the long run, this is a way for the United States to become less of a player in the world economy because other people, like the Germans, like the Chinese, are going exactly in the opposite direction. Well, well, we have no concept of soft power. We have no concept of any power that doesn't involve military might. It's just like, oh, the idea that we would be heralded for education around the world and including our own citizens, that just boggles the mind. We don't get our way in the world. We'll just, you know, throw a bunch of F-16s over there and drone them. Yeah. I mean, it's it's so backwards. Professor Richard Wolf, um, everyone, democracyatwork.info, check out his work, check out his website, always doing interviews, always putting out articles, uh, direct you to In These Times, his piece about three options and alternatives to the current raising of the the federal, um, the uh Ah, the, the interest rates. Interest. Yes. I'm like, let's remember. Remember what we've learned. Thank you so much for joining me on the Bituation Room. You're wonderful as always. And take very good care. Thank you very much, Francesca. And really, hear me when I say programs like yours that dare to go into this stuff and talk about it. This is a country that needs that more than ever. And we should all be grateful for you doing it. Thank you. Thanks for taking the time. Um, that is Professor Richard Wolf giving the Bituation Room, um, just so graciously giving us his time and uh, giving us some masterclass on how to actually think about the economy in this critical time. Um, thank you guys all for being here. We got one more segment. We'll be back with John Iderola in a minisecond. Minisecond? Minisecond! Hey! <laughs> That's what it was. Um, it was. It was, it was a minute second. Oh my god! That that I I took a lot away from that interview, and I think the one thing I truly like am firm on is that my kid is going to study in Europe. No ifs, ands, or buts, and like I save a lot of money. It's it's so cheap and or free, and I'm an EU citizen thanks to uh, Emil Babel, uh, my dad. And, you know, because I'm Italian and whatnot. So I'm like, mm -hmm. oh, no, you go and go over there to study. It's just as good. I don't want to hear another word and I can come visit and it'll be lovely. Well, and, you know, that that's you're focusing there on the price. But, I mean, God only knows what will be left of universities after two terms of Ron DeSantis. God, oh, it's just going to be like. <laughs> Dens of communism. It, it's it's going to be the wor the worst. Like, I'm just imagine when you were in college, the 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 shrillest, stupidest person who would comment, be like, um, well, I read in Cosmo that like actually slavery wasn't that bad because like straight up, like I had people like bringing in like yep. fucking 
thing, yeah, things they read in a magazine into school. And you're like, I'm sorry, did you do the reading? Yeah, that's what I thought. <laughs> that will be everything. Like, that will be curriculum. It will be like, no, we should read, Fun. like, quilting daily with, or like, you know, Paula. I'd prefer Paula, that to fortune. Paula Dean's <laughs> advice on American history fucking sarah palin's listicle of the 20th century <laughs> like, like that is what the future i'm trying to get there i think that was good sarah palin's listicle of the 20th century okay um a few comments uh kevin speedroid dude on twitch says damage report plus situation room equals situation report that is right very good <laughs> you did it um and a few people writing in camperman 5000 is it inflation or record is it record profits for greedy companies exactly bama raider 12 on twitch saying inflation is caused when the wealthy get tax breaks uh-huh and joe 47771 says the monopoly man sets prices yeah he does that's what we've learned um and i really appreciate the comment over here from uh uh wait i lost it i lost it was it lauren was lauren i don't know lauren said lauren knight i'm going back to college for finance professor richard wolf is a saint doing the good work of providing free information to anyone interested love you for this one fran richard wolf equals the truth amen agreed <clears throat> um anyway we have we have one more s- segment before we go into our bonus episode there were so many actually like quirky good stories this week and i wanted to wrap them all up in a new segment that i'm calling sticking it to the man so these are some stories that maybe slipped under the radar because we're all focused on how everything's awful but there were a few fun little moments that i want to highlight and get your thoughts on john um, we don't have a game. We don't have to vote which one's the best. We'll just like it's a purview. It's a sort of a, a, a smorgasbord, a sampling of the good stuff. So this was fun in Texas. Um, we're now having abortion. Uh, getting an abortion is illegal or in courts or under discussion. A pregnant woman was given an uh, HOV ticket, um, arguing that her fetus is a passenger. So HOV is like heavy on uh, like what is it it's a carpool lane basically right yeah i don't know what the acronym means but it means yeah that the, i'm gonna say heavy over, yeah. overdrive vehicle it's like heavy occupancy vehicle i got there because i'm smart um mm-hmm. it's number of people or body so she weight, said, yeah. this is brandy batone was recently driving down central expressway in dallas when she was stopped by a sheriff's deputy at an hov checkpoint to see whether there were at least two occupants per vehicle as mandated when the sheriff looked around her car last month uh she recounted to the washington post that he asked is it just you or is there someone riding with you and i said oh there's two of us and he said where and she was 34 weeks pregnant and pointed to her stomach even though she said her quote baby girl is in there batone said one of the two deputies she encountered told her it had to be two bodies outside of the body <laughs> <laughs> that's kind of deep actually <laughs> two bodies outside the body she still got this ticket for $215 but she says she will be fighting it she's going to be fi- and as a pregnant mm-hmm. woman right now fuck yeah 
Yeah, I mean, like, what what about your kid? Like, you gave birth to them. Like, you created their cells. Like, even once they're outside, they're still kind of you. No, I I love this. Um, it is, it's only it's like a, a live action traffic version of what I do on my show. It's like pointing out the ridiculous hypocrisy yes. and losing yeah. inevitably. We never <laughs> win with this because they don't care about the hypocrisy. But it feels kind of good as the boat slips beneath the waves. <laughs> totally, totally. It's not going to work. Yeah. But if we all do it, I mean, maybe there's a case to be made. But again, this is sort of like, it's all the, it's the same sort of like, well, why are we doing this to men? We should regulate men's bodies. And like, obviously, that's not the answer. And we're doing this rhetorically, because no one should be regulating mm-hmm. anybody else's body. Um, but it is fun, especially when it comes to driving in the carpool lane to claim that they're yes are two yeah. people so that was one little sticking to the man story another one this one i mean come on wow feces mailed to 25 republican lawmakers in ohio yes okay that takes work why they were sent to them remains unclear no policy issues or certain grievances were included in the letters said senate gop spokesperson john fortney the return addresses on the letters were deemed fake. Of course, there's a lot of they were <laughs> intercepted. They didn't reach these uh, lawmakers. But. Damn. I think we can guess. A wasted turd is it, a sad. It, I just. We should guess what? Why they sent were sent? I'm just going to say, I think. I think it was a woman. I want to claim this for our team. Uh, mm-hmm. And I also want to just commend anyone who manages to shimmy a poo inside of uh, an envelope. <laughs> like, how do you do that? Do you do you like open up the bubble, the bubbled, uh, you know, like envelope, padded envelope, like over the toilet, or do mm-hmm. you fish out and then put in? That might be another like. Yes, as a... <laughs> I think you you set up all of your stationery and your envelopes and all of them on the table, and then you squat over it for convenience. <laughs> this doesn't need to involve the bathroom at all. This is a serious endeavor. Well, and, it, and the question is, is like, is it over time? Because four, okay, so that's a lot of twenty five. Is that twenty five days of poo, yeah, also, or did you did you divide it up? Did you have to use like a play doh yeah. cutter? To like divide up. <laughs> and did you briefly pause and like how much really is needed to get across the idea? Because it doesn't, I don't want it to be a pathetic amount. I don't not. want them to think that like I'm not having enough fiber. So I, I it has to be at least half of a lot. Yeah, you got to be I mad think. as hell. I mean, and Ohio, again, is one of those states where that is banning abortions. I mean, this is. That's probably absolutely. About, I mean, I imagine, this though. is the exactly the this is where uh, the ten-year-old had to flee in order to go to Indiana to for the closing Star Wars, you know, door on the ship of reproductive rights as we slide in. Whatever, John, don't fucking. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, mm-hmm. no, we're in the garbage compactor, yes. and the walls are closing in, and all we have is poop. So that yeah, shall be our absolutely. sword. And then finally, uh, yes. my personal favorite. So um, in Sri Lanka this week, uh, President Gotabaya Rajapaska, has, um, whose family's dominated politics in Sri Lanka for two decades, has res- decided to resign 
after months of protests accusing him of running the island's nation economy into the ground through corruption and mismanagement. Um, and there were a lot of scenes out of Sri Lanka, people storming the presidential palace and specifically jumping into the presidential pool. That's a nice pool. A little flip. Flip for democracy. Like, like, you know, hashtag no coup, you know, no January 6th. But, like, that is some shit I super Mm -hmm. get down with. And I love how, like, you feel like we're about to, like, you know, like, rack focus and push in on, like, one of the dudes. And he's about to start rapping in Sri Lankan. And, you know, like, the music video breaks (laughs) out. (laughs) Like, it's so good. Um, Yeah. Yeah, I saw that going around. I just thought that like uh, the servers for the Swimply app had uh, been overbooked or something. It's like that's oh, you show up and there's already a family there. Um, no, that's good. Look, I I think yes, no violence, nothing like that. But we we do need to be willing to be a little bit confrontational. I do think though, like everyone's super impressed with that, but they haven't yet reached the levels of the U.S. where people are like. They're waiting outside of a Morton's, and that is some deep confrontational stuff. Horrifying. My God. Outside of it, right? They didn't even get in. Outside of it. They didn't even see the person they were protesting, and that is a line that I don't think we should even get close to. (gasps) It's terrible. No, Brett Kavanaugh absolutely has a fucking pool. We should all go and jump inside of it. Like, this is the one thing that Mm -hmm. I, especially when it's summertime, especially when it's hot, I'm like, no, anyone can go to any pool pools like after the it's a public I'm just resource saying, after the rev man <laughs> pools are a public resource we mm-hmm. reappropriate them it's already bad enough to walk by you guys do this where you like walk by in your neighborhood and you see or you go to another neighborhood that's really nice and you totally see like an empty what is clearly a second home or they're like off on like their mm-hmm. their summer vacation to the cape or whatever and they've got a giant pool there and it's you're just like you know you know where the first place obviously is have you been to the hearst castle i haven't okay so the hearst castle i'm not cool it's it's not that cool you just tour it and you tour it and it's like overlooking the ocean and it's hot as hell um and like the pools at the hearst castle are incredible but you're not allowed to go in them and that's the when the fucking rev happens we're going to the hearst castle we're jumping mm-hmm. into William Randolph Hearst, like amazing fresh spring like pool. It's so nice. Yeah, no, th- that'll be the good thing about the the Rev is that those final BS laws will finally we won't have to abide. Like you can swim in the Hearst Castle pools and you can pet the drug sniffing German <laughs> shepherds. Don't. I'm a human. I'm a man. I will do what I want. I will pet that good boy. I love it. All right. So that that was sticking it to the man this week, you guys. Don't tell you I didn't tell you anything good in the world. John Iderola of The Damage Report. If you're not watching or listening as a podcast of The Damage Report, you're fucking up. Do it, especially on Mondays. They've got this really amazing co-host, not co-host. Um, yeah, it gets a bit gross. But yeah. yeah. Um, by the way, I did take that time while we were playing that pre-record to look at Florence Pugh's Puties and uh <laughs> what'd you think she looks great uh 
obviously she, she can do whatever she wants. She wants. <laughs> I good good on her. And uh, yes. Can I can I plug one other Please. thing other than the damage port? Obviously the damage port. And obviously do not do not do anything until you've gone to the Bituation Room Patreon. But I too have a Woo! Patreon. And you might think, well, John, you already do so much political stuff. Am I really going to follow more of your political stuff? I'm not asking you to. This is not political. Uh, I write fantasy and sci-fi post-apocalyptic fiction, and I release that. And uh, my writing group does a, uh, a monthly podcast, breaking down some movies, and that's all available at patreon.com slash John. What's, your, what are, what's the podcast called? Uh, the podcast is the Peanut Butter Storytime podcast, where we uh, break down stories to have a little bit of fun and learn some stuff that can inform so it's our like own writing. Breaking down stories of of fantasy work that you guys like and like sci fi work that you guys like. So it can be anything. Uh, the first few months we've done movies. We did uh, the original X Men movie, uh, Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade, uh, and then we did the Lord of the Rings: The Fellowship of the Ring last. Oh, month. Okay, okay. So this is well worn territory, but you mm-hmm. haven't heard it's John Iderola like this, you guys. So patreon.com. Mm-hmm. Well, and it's not, it's not really about the movie. It's about the storytelling, about character and tension and twists and, right. and all of that. Like breaking that down so you can learn to tell better stories. I love it. Oh, my God. Hell yeah. Everybody yeah. check that out. Um, and, John, I'll see you in the bonus, Bish. Everybody get your ass over there because we're going to talk about Elon Musk. Um, and uh, before we go, just wanted to sh- give a shout out and read some some super chats. Michael Murray. I don't know if you remember this when I met you in San Jose, which you then corrected to be San Diego. Thank you for paying more to correct yourself. Uh, I jokingly introduced you to my partner by saying she's also ethnically ambiguous. You did. I love that. And this is a podcast, too. Um, uh, Anna Hosnier and um, Shreen. Why am I blanking on Shreen's last name? But they run a podcast called Ethnically Ambiguous, and they interview all kinds of folks. And it's great. And you guys should definitely check it out. Um, thank you so much, Michael Murray. Uh, Tanya Sewers, last Sunday's bonus episode was hella funny. I keep rewatching and it was just as funny on repeat. Yes, we talked about Jordan Peterson with Matt Lieb. It was real, real, real good. Reiki Dragon, thank you for the super chat. Biden's action equals executive thoughts and prayers. Effectively. Like, that's what it does feel like. Um, KM81677 says, apparently the White House said that this weekend the activists are out of step with Democrats. No, the Democrats are out of step with what the people want. We had a rally in Iowa, estimated 2,000 people or more. That's great. Hell yeah. Um, I love, this is Shay Dragon saying, the activist left is why we have OSHA. Activist left in reference to what Biden and the Dems were calling the activist left. Is why we have OSHA, the Audubon Society, the weekend, school lunches, public schools, the women's vote, and didn't have mass shootings every day for a while. You win the comment section, Shade Dragon. I love you. Um, and uh, Darren Skolsvold on YouTube says mortgage is Latin for until death. I like that. Um, Robert, thank you for the super chat. Let us read or become familiar with Pure War by, by Virilio and Lotringer, which explains and defines the conditions of endocolonization when external colonization and exploitation is no longer possible. Googling endocolonization. Um, and Matt Gates on a Ford Bronco, thank you for your super chat. Mr. Wolf, if these folks were truly pro-life, they'd do certain stuff, but not getting to it. That's how it's done. Lays the facts, but always kick. Think I understand some of that? I'm feeling a few extra kicks in my tummy today. Um, and Robert Ryder, thank you for the super chat. Fran and John on my birthday, best birthday ever, best present ever. Happy birthday. Um, thank you, J320. 
Um, Tony Rizzo, high occupancy vehicles. Yes, I eventually got there. Jeff, what Ray Will Stewart, what a great show. Thanks. And Madrugada dreamt, let's go Sri Lanka. We motherfucking out here. Hell yeah. And with that, you guys, we'll be back next Sunday with Nato Green. The show is live every Sunday, 5, 8 Eastern uh, on Twitch and YouTube. Thank you to Paige Omek, my producer on the other side. Um, thank you to Alexandra Ornest. Thank you to Maximilian Inhoff. And remember, we'll be starting on Tuesdays at 1 p.m. Pacific, 4 p.m. Eastern uh, in August. But for now, get your asses over to the bonus show, right? Patreon.com slash Room. We talking about Musk, people. All right. Fight the power. Fuck the patriarchy. And don't just bitch about it. Be about it. <laughs>